Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. We're a weekend in the minor league baseball season, and one member of the Show Before the Show podcast crew has attended a minor league baseball game, which is pretty awesome as we welcome you in. He is the man to my, uh, well, kind of like straight ahead of me, slightly to my right, I guess, if we're doing geographically. My name is Tyler Ron. His name is Sam Dykstra. I'm facing kind of Northeast. Okay. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's uh, a day we had miserable weather here the last couple of days. It finally feels like spring. But speaking of feeling like spring, you got to attend a minor league baseball game yesterday. Yes, I did. And we'll get more into this in the second segment, in which we talk more about like what actually is new about Worcester. But yeah, I got to go to the Worcester Red Sox opening day. Um, we're recording this on, on Wednesday. So that opening day was on Tuesday. Uh, they beat the Syracuse Mets in a game that featured six homers. Feels like Triple A baseball is back. And maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe Polar Park is the new Coors. Um, what does that say about Massachusetts that our version of Coors is uh, polar seltzer? But anyways, we'll put that aside. But yeah, no, it was really cool. Um, did a story up for that. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it more. Um, but it, it, you know, Worcester is somewhere that I grew up in Palmer, Mass, which is about 45 minutes down the road from Worcester. Worcester hadn't had a, an affiliated team since the 20s. So it was just very weird and different and exciting in many ways to have uh, minor league baseball literally, well, not literally in my backyard, but like actual minor league baseball, not only back after all we missed in 2020, uh, but back in a place that was very close to me and a, a place I knew well. So we'll get into more of that later, but um, it was so much fun to be back and actually have a game to watch and, and get to see Jaron Duran Homer twice. Who's a legit prospect. So uh, it was all I ever wanted ro- rolled into one day. That's a pretty fun thing to be able to say in uh, 2021. And we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Like I said, he is Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon. We're talking all things minor league baseball with you as we are uh, just a little bit over a week into the 2021 season, as crazy as that is to believe. And so far, so good. Some uh, smooth sailing across the minor leagues in the opening week of the season. It is a little strange uh, for the first time ever that we are not waiting on the start of short season leagues coming up in June. I mean, we're a week into this season now, but it's not the ordinary lull that we used to have at the beginning of seasons where it was, all right, well, you know, a month and a half, two months of this, and then we'll get the short season leagues in, then everybody will be playing. Things will be really crazy. The full minor league uh, spectrum 
spectrum is is open. Now, I do say that with a caveat that the Arizona League and the Gulf Coast League have not started. Those are the two remaining short season leagues. And obviously the partner leagues and uh, the collegiate leagues will get started later on this year. But kind of cool to see uh, all four levels, AAA, AA, high A, and low A, off and running in this 2021 season. And uh, we have so much to talk about on this week's episode of the show. Big thanks to all of you for hanging out and tuning in uh, wherever you found us at MILB.com slash podcast or on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher or everywhere else. You can leave us a rating and a review and a subscription. And you can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com if you would like. Uh, you can see all of our work at MILB.com as well as over at MLB Pipeline, uh, MLB.com slash pipeline or MLB Pipeline. You can find stories, our prospect coverage, all that kind of stuff there as well as we get deeper and deeper into this 2021 season. And with that, it is time finally for the triumphant return of three strikes. Our uh, award contending segment, we'll say, uh, that we ordinarily would break out from week to week in discussing the biggest stories, three of them across the minor league baseball landscape. We haven't gotten to do it for the last year because there was no minor league baseball to be played anywhere. And so we are finally ready to bring back three strikes and we'll kick it off with our very first topic for three strikes here on this week's episode of the show before the show, Uh, some early pod early prospect standouts across the minor leagues. We have seen uh, already some terrific starts to the season. We're only a weekend. So obviously small sample size and all those types of things uh, still apply, but we've seen some really, really good starts to the season, including some starts that are pushing some guys to the major leagues. One of those guys, actually two of those guys we'll talk about coming up here in strike two, but Sam, we've seen, uh, you know, Wander Franco has already jumped out uh, with an OPS that's close to a thousand. Uh, he has been very good so far this season. CJ Abrams has put on some really good performances so far this season. The Padres prospect. I wrote about DL Hall last night, the Orioles pitching prospect who has struck out 19 and walked two through his first couple of starts uh, so far this year. Who is standing out to you among the early prospect performers in the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, there there are a couple names that, you know, you didn't say there. Those were all very strong ones, which has been great to see. The fact that Franco and and Abrams in particular have jumped out the way they have. Um, I did a story for Pipeline last week, or actually early this week, about most aggressive assignments. And those guys were on those lists because, you know, Abrams, this should be his second full season, but he doesn't have a full season yet. Padres throwing him to double A feels important. And Wander Franco, if you can believe it, there is only one player at either double A or triple A who is younger than him so far this season. Um, it's crazy that he's starting out the year at AAA. We kind of need to put that in perspective. Uh, I know a lot of people wanted him to open up in the majors, but given his youth, uh, even putting him at AAA feels aggressive. So the fact that those guys are doing as well as they have is impressive. But a couple other names I want to throw out real quick. Jesus Sanchez of the Miami Marlins felt like we've talked about him every day to start the year in, in some aspect. Um, I think he has a five hit game in there. He's got four homers and 30 plate appearances so far. Uh, the, the balls that he has hit have been rocketed there at the triple a level for the Marlins. I've not re- usually been the biggest Jesus Sanchez fan dating back to his days with the Rays. Um, it seems like he was always more tools than performance, which I'm not going to get too wrapped up in performance. Obviously if the tools are there, but the tools never really justified or the performances never really justified the the grades that we were getting. He was supposed to be a pretty good hitter from the left side, show some above average power, but it just never really translated into games. And it got to a point where I thought, okay, if it's not showing up now, it's never going to, uh, but he's still only 23. 
he, he took his lumps last year at the major league level, seems to have taken that in stride. And again, four homers in the first week is, is a very big deal there for him for at Jacksonville. So um, something to keep an eye on with him. The fact that he has four homers in the tank already is, is certainly impressive. Uh, another name sticking to Florida, but at the bottom end of that spectrum, uh, Trevor Hauber of the New York Yankees system, second baseman, teammate actually of Spencer Torkelson at uh, Arizona State. So if you were expecting anybody to, you know, hit four homers in the first week or six homers, excuse me, in the first week of the season, you thought it would have been Spencer Torkelson who we went over in our mill preview as somebody we all thought could compete for the minor league home run lead. Instead it's Hauber. Uh, and the fact that he's doing this at class a Tampa or low a Tampa, excuse me. Uh, you know, it, it might not be a huge surprise. Again, he's a college performer, college performers hitting low a isn't new, uh, but you know, low a Southeast, the old Florida state league is a pitcher's league. Um, so the fact that he's showing this much pop this quickly is, is some cer- certainly one way for him to jump onto our radars right now. He's the number 23 Yankees prospect. And speaking of power, one other name I'll throw out there. Uh, we talked about Wander Franco before, but his teammate Vidal Bruhan uh, with the, the Rays and at the AAA level in Durham. Uh, Bruhan, somebody they're trying to move around. They're trying to find as many spots as they can for him. Uh, but the thing that's always going to stick out is his plus plus speed. You could go 70, 80 grade on his speed. Uh, and he, he's a pretty good hitter. That's what he's going to do. He's going to pick up his base hits wherever he can and, and extend singles into doubles, doubles into triples you know, add to his total bases that way. But same way with Sanchez. I mean, he's got four homers through 33 plate appearances so far. He's slugging 852. I don't know if this is a small sample thing. I don't know if it's anything he's doing differently at the plate just yet. It's only been one week. But again, if he can get four homers in the can, I don't think he's yet hit double-digit homers in a single minor league season. So the fact that he's almost halfway there already is certainly impressive. Um he came up as a shortstop, played a little bit of second base uh, in deference to Willie Adamas and Wander Franco coming up. Now they're trying to get him spots in the outfield as well. They love his bat. They love his speed. Now if they love his power even more, there's a chance Bruhan could beat Wander Franco to the majors. Um, so that's a race definitely worth following after this first week. Strike two this week. The uh, minor league season means we're going to see a lot of guys getting tested early on with assignments that if they ace – means they may be headed for major league call-ups. And one of those guys is the top prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization, outfielder Jared Kalanick, who is, uh, as of right now, we're recording this on Wednesday. He is reportedly headed up tomorrow for his major league debut on Thursday with the Seattle Mariners. Um, Not just him. We are also hearing that right-handed pitcher Logan Gilbert, Seattle's number four prospect, will head to the major leagues as well. Um, M's fans, I think, are so desperate for this wave of talent to get there. The Seattle Mariners now have the longest postseason drought in major American professional sports uh they have a very very talented system but there is a time when uh i think fans get tired of hearing about how talented their system is and they want to see those guys the major league level and obviously it feels like it has been so much longer uh for mariners fans hearing about this system because they heard about it last year during a a year in which we had no minor league development time for a lot of these prospects and so to see Jared Kellenick headed up to the major league, see Logan Gilbert, um, and to see maybe, you know, eventually, I know he's only at high A right now, but somebody like Julio Rodriguez, 
making that climb as well. It's an exciting time for the Mariners because it feels like maybe this window is starting to open. They are a 500 team uh, out of the gate right now. They enter play today at 18 and 18 overall. But Sam, your reaction to the Kellenic news, um, to the Gilbert news as well, and to where the Mariners are as they start piecing this thing together. They are uh, in third place right now in the American League West, but this is kind of the start of the core that they are relying on to put themselves back in a postseason contention in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, the, the Kelnick news always felt like it was coming, right? Like, yeah, we've been talking definitely. about this since the spring. And if, if not for an injury, I know that there were president, uh, you know, the former president of the mayor's organization made some comments during the spring that put everything into a kind of blender of, uh, you know, what are what do the Mariners actually think of Jared Kelnick and how quickly can he come up? But I felt like it was still at least maybe part of the conversation. It could have been part of the conversation had he not been injured and missed a slew of games. Um, but the fact is that that happened. They sent him to the alt site and we always thought, okay, it's going to be weeks, if not days until he finally gets that call from Tacoma. The fact that he homered twice in his triple a debut was hilarious because again, after that spring of anticipation of like, how ready is he for the first opportunity since 2019, that he gets to play a competitive game of baseball against another team in a regular season game. He homers twice at a level he's never been at. Uh, you can't force the issue any more than that. So the fact that the, the Mariners have decided to call him up after pretty much exactly one week, reminder, AAA West has Wednesdays off. He's coming up on a Thursday. It's going to be the beginning of a home series for, for the Mariners against Cleveland. Uh, it just fits really well. Now, the fact that Gilbert's also included in that is super exciting as well. Um, Tyler, you mentioned their record with the M's. They are firmly right in the middle of that race. And I think a lot of people kind of peg them to be potential spoilers in the AL West this year. Um, so the fact that they're 18 and 18 right now, they're three and a half games back of the A's who obviously had that killer long uh, winning streak at the beginning of the year. But, you know, the, the Rangers aren't going to be that good this year. The Angels are certainly hurting right now. They're only a game back of the Astros. And, and who are the Astros going to be this year? We're still going to find that out. Maybe they make a run here by adding Kelnick, by adding Gilbert, having those guys for half of May, all of June, July, August, September. Um, that that's a pretty good option to have. And then, as you mentioned, having J-Rod to potentially call up in the second half, even if he's just at high A right now, uh, is an enticing option, not to mention, you know, George Kirby or a Cal Rally, or they have the options there. Um, so starting this now is certainly exciting. Uh, Logan Gilbert looks certainly ready in his first start. He had five innings, five strikeouts. Uh, I believe he only gave up one earned run, allowed four hits no walks, a whip of 0 0.80. Uh, so the beginning of the spring, they were saying Gilbert had the potential to compete for a rotation spot. That didn't work out either. Uh, he, he can certainly provide that now. His fastball grades out at plus to plus plus. His slider and changeup were above average. Like I said, no walks in that first start, so his control is pretty good. Kellenick, we know, is a five-tool star, potentially, if everything clicks. Uh, the bat from the left side is, is truly special, as he's already shown with Tacoma. Um, so these are two big pieces. These are two big pieces here to stick. They're not coming up for cameos. They're not coming up to help out for a week. They, they are going to be key members of the Seattle team. And whether it's bringing a contender this year or next year, even just getting a full rookie year under their belt will be a huge part of hopefully, you know, the Mariners breaking that postseason streak here in the next two, three seasons at the most. Logan Gilbert, a uh, product of Stetson University. Do you know what the athletic teams at Stetson University are named, Sam? The Hatters, right? The Hatters. And it is from 
if you were wondering, uh, the university's longtime association with John B. Stetson, who is the maker of Stetson hats. Isn't isn't Jacob no. Degrom from Stetson? Yeah, Jacob Degrom, also a Stetson yes. product. Yeah. Yes, Jacob Degrom and Patrick Mazika, who, if you've been watching Mets games recently, is just the walk-off hero. Um, both of those guys train at Stetson in the offseason, as I believe Matthew Allen did um, for a time this offseason. And then we're not going to talk, we're not going to make this into a huge segment, but Matt Allen went Tommy John surgery, the top Mets pitching prospect. But a lot of a lot of good talent like coming through or have touched base at the Stetson campus for being a kind of funny name. But yeah, keep a keep an eye on the Hatters, I guess. It's kind of amazing. It's like Chris Sale. Chris Sale's a Florida Gulf Coast product. Like I don't think people really knew much about Florida Gulf Coast until you know Dunk City and the the NCAA tournament run several years ago. But uh, yeah, another guy who's a, a living legend in baseball who went to a smaller school in Florida. It's kind of impressive stuff. Um, all right, our final strike on three strikes this week's edition of the show before the show, the uh, triumphant return of three strikes. This year's scheduling across the minor leagues very different from seasons past. We no longer see uh, three game series or four game series or the occasional two game series or five games in something like the Southern League. We are now seeing six game series that essentially take up an entire week. Uh, series then an off day for travel, then another series. Um, that is going to be the structure for the minor league schedule for all of 2021. I know there has been discussion that maybe this is something that we will see beyond 2021. But for right now, Sam, uh, how do you like it? I know there were a lot of discussion points coming into the season of, oh, our team's going to get you know tired and, uh, and restless with each other. Are we going to see an increase in you know on-field conflicts? How's the dynamic going to play out with umpiring crews that are going to be with the same two teams for six days? Seems like so far everything is is working out well. What are your thoughts on the six-game series? Yeah, I mean, uh, we haven't heard too much about like there being conflicts that, that we thought. I think the biggest thing for me was like some of these opening day rosters were very starting pitcher heavy, uh, it, which shouldn't come as a huge shock. Like every organization is going to treat this differently, but um, some teams are going to have your normal five man rotation and then somebody's going to pitch twice in a series. Uh, but a lot of these others, especially at the lower levels, there's going to be a lot of piggybacking going on. Uh, it might be, you know, you started the game on Tuesday. Uh, but you come in for the fourth, fifth, and sixth on Sunday, something like that. Uh, it's a great way of, of keeping everybody's innings down and in check, especially early on. And maybe we'll transition to that uh, midway through the season. We'll have some promotions and, and rotations will kind of iron themselves out. But uh, as it stands right now, it, it seems to be going fairly smoothly. I mean, I think having that Monday off that, that we had this week and just looking around and realizing everybody had that day to rest um, was really nice to actually be in that and realize everybody was, uh, you know, taking the time off to travel and, and settle things out. And knowing that that was coming, I think, came as peace of mind to a lot of different people, whether it's players, coaches, uh, people working with minor league teams, just knowing that that Monday is going to be your off day no matter what. Um, so that seems to have worked out pretty well so far. It's something, obviously, we're going to keep an eye on. One of the big themes of the first week uh, with lots of people I've talked to, it's like, well, we need to see how this is going to continue what's going to happen. And I'm sure there's going to be some Sunday game coming up, which we're going to find out that so-and-so hit somebody on Tuesday. And then the other team hit the guy on Thursday and Sunday is where it all became to a boil and um, things really spilled over, but so far so good. I think so far, and uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on this going forward. And with that, we will wrap up this week's segment of uh, three strikes. We got a very big topic to discuss and that is the show before the show podcast return to a minor league ballpark we're going to talk about sam's trip to worcester coming up next
This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. So as we noted at the top of the show, uh, Sam did get a chance to visit the brand new Polar Park in Worcester, Massachusetts for the debut of the Worcester Red Sox as a franchise. Uh, And there's a great story that Sam has up at MLB Pipeline right now about uh, kind of returning home to his area of Massachusetts and seeing this team uh, set up camp for the first time in its brand new home. And obviously this move uh, for the the Worcester Red Sox, formerly the Pawtucket Red Sox, this is a very emotional one for fans in that region of the country. Pawtucket had hosted AAA baseball at McCoy Stadium for so, so long. It had become um, really one of the, legendary and iconic minor league baseball venues. Um, but the franchise makes its move to Worcester and uh, this has been long anticipated for that community as well. And Sam, this is so cool to get a chance to be there and take us through what the experience was like, you know, being in a minor league ballpark, um, you know, getting a chance to do it so close to home. And uh, especially in light of everything that we've all been through for the last year, just being back at a game again. Yeah. I, that's, that's the thing is like, how do you wrap this up? Like I, I filed this story and I was, I was like, I am sorry for how long it is, but there's just so much packed into one game, which it was nice to have that feeling again, really just thinking like, this isn't just one game. This There's so much that goes into this. Um, you mentioned McCoy. Like I, I don't want to discount um, how sad it was to see Pawtucket leave. Uh, I have a lot of good memories at, at McCoy stadium, many of which we've talked about this on this podcast before, many of which I've written about before. Um, just to go through some of them. I saw Bronson Royo's perfect game there. I've had birthday parties there. I've seen John Smoltz, Josh Beckett rehab at McCoy. McCoy had a very, you know, soft spot in my heart. Um, But like once I found out that the team was moving to Worcester, Worcester is closer uh, to where I grew up to where I am right now. It's about 45 minutes down the road. Uh, My sister was born in Worcester. She went to college in Worcester. My nephew and niece were born in Worcester. Like there's just so many attachments that I had to that place. And after covering minor league baseball for nine years now, seeing stadiums open up in Biloxi and like Pensacola and Hartford, which isn't too far away, but I don't have that similar connection to necessarily. Uh, you know, I wanted to see what that experience was like for the first time. So I went to the Sox opener yesterday. Um, the, the people who run that Larry Lucchino, Dr. Charles Steinberg, they know how to do an opening. Those are guys were, uh, in charge of a lot of those big ceremonies you see at Fenway Park. Uh, Larry Lucchino, heavily involved with multiple major league franchises, uh, but helped build Camden Yards into what became the gold standard for ballparks all across the country. Um, so you kind of got that feeling about Polar Park in Worcester is that it, it's very much part of the neighborhood. It's very much part of the city. Um, you know, there's, you can see the twin spires of Union Station 
right beyond center field. They don't try to hide that or in any way. You know where you are. Um, there's train tracks that come almost parallel to left field wall um, that are coming from Union Station going out to, you know, points west and south, I think. Uh, so it, the fact that it felt very much part of Worcester uh, just added to the level of emotion in the game. Uh, and you get so wrapped up in that because, like, you're watching this ceremony. They're on furling banners saying, welcome to Worcester, which felt more like a welcome to Worcester for baseball. Everybody who was there, Worcester is their home, whether it's they're from the city or they're from Central Mass in some way. They don't need to be welcomed to Worcester, but the fact that this is the return of minor league baseball to this city for the first time since the 20s was huge, and, and everybody felt the weight of that moment. Um, James Taylor, who has a home out in the Berkshires in Western Mass, uh, got to sing the national anthem with his son, Henry. That was pretty special. Um, and then once the game got going, it, it felt like a regular return to baseball, which is still also weird. Um, you know, it, it's not, I don't want to say it's too weird. It, it felt like putting on an old sweater, but the fact that this is a game that mattered, it was not an exhibition. It was not an alt site game. It was not a SIM game. Um, this was a game that actually mattered in, in the stand, standings. And we were finding out so much about how Polar Park was playing. Like I said earlier, there were six home runs in that game, two by Jaron Duran. Most of them were hit to either right or right center, um, which if you've seen any drawings or renderings of Polar Park, you know, is where the Worcester wall is. Uh, the Worcester wall is kind of like the Worcester version of the green monster, but it's blue. It's in right field. It's about 15 feet shorter. Um, so it's going to be a little easier to hit home runs out that way. Um, but just seeing all these things kind of fall into place, whether it's how the park is going to factor as a hitter's park or a pitcher's park, whether it's how are the concessions going to work here? Like, what are people going to gravitate towards? Are they going to go towards the Coney Island hot dogs? Or are they going to go towards the regular burgers and stuff behind home plate? Um, just seeing all that lock in it after so many years of planning this, uh, it was really special to actually be there and witness it. To um, get a chance to do it this year would have been cool regardless, but obviously we're in a world where um, there are so many different restrictions. I know the um, attendance yesterday was very limited. What was it like being in a ballpark in 2021 with everything that is now involved in going to take in a game from hand sanitizers to social distancing and, uh, you know, fist bumps and elbow bumps instead of hugs and high fives and all of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the... That was the interesting thing that I was waiting to, to find out. The official announced attendance was, I think, 2,377. Um, Massachusetts had just upped the amount that you could have it in an outdoor venue uh, to 25%. So that's what they were limited to. But, I mean, anybody I talked to who was there felt like it was more. And I don't know if that's like us coming out of the pandemic and just realizing, like, anytime you see 2,000 people gathered together, it's going to feel like 10,000 for a while. Or if that was just because there was so much pomp and circumstance, like people get invited who don't have tickets and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it took me about five minutes to get over the fact that everybody's wearing a mask at a ballpark. I'm glad they were. I'm glad people were trying to be safe and, and doing the right thing. But it, it was still, it's not an image my brain is used to yet, at least not in person. Um, and they did the right thing also by having, like you mentioned, hand sanitizer about like every 10 feet around the concourse so that they did their best there. Uh, one thing I think that is, you know, a slight improvement over this, over McCoy, is the open concourse, which is so popular now with, with modern ballparks, but it's actually so much better 
coming off a pandemic in which all you want is open space. You don't want to be enclosed with somebody else. You want everything to be open as best it can. And you want everybody to spread out as best they can. And they did a, a really nice job of that. That's not by design for like pandemic reasons. That's just because it's a more pleasing ballpark experience. Whereas McCoy, you know, there was kind of like an inner sanctum where all the concession stands were, and it could feel a little bit more enclosed in that way. This did not have that feeling. Um, so again, it's like so many other things. We're going to see how that's going to play out in terms of how people feel comfortable. I know they're hoping to be at hundred percent by July, uh, here in Massachusetts, you know, the, the government here is not like those in, in Texas and other places that are ready to open the doors right now. And I think that's the right cautious approach. Um, but the fact that there were that many people there and all seeming to enjoy themselves while trying to stay as, as safe as they could was heartwarming in, in many ways. This is uh, such an emotional time for so many people returning to ballparks. And it's very cool to see the uh, the emotion and the happiness in Sam's story, which is at MLB.com slash pipeline right now that you can check out. And I very much recommend it, even if you're not you know, from the area or familiar with the area or anything, it's uh, a, a universal story in that it speaks to something good coming home. And that's kind of what we're all in need of, it feels like at times these days. And uh, just a great piece that is up on the site right now. And so happy you got a chance to do that, man. It seems like it was a, a heck of a day yesterday. Yeah, and I'm glad that came across because, like, I, I I realize I put a lot of Boston, you know, Massachusetts, Western Mass, Central Mass, all of Massachusetts, all of New England references in there. I referenced candle pin bowling in the first line for crying out loud. Um, yeah, I which, know. have you ever candle pin bowled? No, no. Do you I know don't. what it looks like? Uh, yeah, I am kind of aware of the concept. It's just a much smaller ball in a narrower lane and a shorter kind of, and like the pins are are like the pins wood, are just right? like this. I mean. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, they're not like the standard bowling pin shape. Right. Whatever you're picturing in your, it, they're basically almost perfect cylinders. Um, and it just becomes so much more difficult. And also you're supposed to leave the pins out there, which is can be advantageous. Uh, we used to call it leaving wood out there. Um, so like you can use the pins to hit off other pins and 710 splits are not uh -huh. as difficult, but also you're holding a smaller ball. So you have less control of it. And Right, right, right. Yeah, it's just a lot harder than normal bowling, but you also I don't understand how you people order coffee. I don't <laughs> I don't get it at all. I do not what get a, it. a medium regular is not milk I have and sugar. No idea what that is. That's literally just refers to a size everywhere else in the country. Both of those things. A medium or a regular is just a size everywhere else. Oh yeah. No idea no. what that that's means. What, that's why when I would step into Starbucks and they're like, all these options and some of them are in different languages. I'm like, I don't know what I just <laughs> give me 20. the 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I have, I have no, I have no concept. So I'm outed as a non Northeasterner when I go to a, a Dunkin' Donuts and I say like, Oh, I'll have a medium with cream and sugar. No, they, they, I mean, they'll accept you. They, they, right. They, but they'll be like, look at this transplant. <laughs> look at this, I, this I think nomad. it's worse to go in the other way. Like, I think it's worse for me. Oh, absolutely. Going to like New York city where I live now. Right. And, and walking into a Duncan saying medium regular and they just give me a black coffee because regular means exactly nothing. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it means. I don't know what it says about us that a regular <laughs> means milk and sugar and we want more sugar content and more cream, like more dairy. Yeah. That is very strange. That is that's very just, strange. That's that, just our base default serving is, yeah. is regular means that it comes with additives. So if you want a black coffee, you just say like medium is medium referring to the size. I've literally had people order coffees before that it's like medium black with sugar. So medium is the size. We're just decoding this. Yes. Yes. Medium sorry, is the size. Sorry. Yes. Black coffee 
with sugar. That's that's all self-explanatory. But if you order a medium regular, it is a medium coffee that comes with milk and sugar. Correct. Yes. We're so weird. <laughs> we embrace it. We know this. We know this deep to our core. When you come out here at some point this summer, we're not ordering coffee that way. I just I live in New York City. I've lived in New York City for nine years. I I'd gotten used to it. It's fine. It's just, you know, when I come here, it's like when, you know, people's like accents change. Right, 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 right. I mean, Sam does end the story with wicked cool as the, as the phrase at the end of it. So it's used correctly, which, you know, that's, you've always harped on my, my incorrect uses of wicked. So whatever, Sam. Um, Just say the city name for me before we end. Just say it once. Worcester, Massachusetts. Is that what you're asking me to say? I should have just let you finish the segment. Worcester. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, but it really is a great story. It is up on the site right now. Uh, Sam goes through pregame and each inning and uh, and all of it. It's fantastic. And you should go read it, mlb.com slash pipeline and uh, find Sam's story about the debut of the Worcester Red Sox. And congratulations uh, to Worcester and to that franchise for getting themselves uh, up and off the ground and running in this 2021 season. And uh, coming up next, we'll talk with uh, our, our next ballpark maven, the, uh, the titan of the ballpark road trip himself. Benjamin Hill joins the show coming up next. Delighted to be joined a full weekend of the minor league baseball season in 2021 by the Swami of minor league baseball himself, the guru of the game, the master of the, well, I can't really go with minors because I, Benjamin Hill joins the show. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Hi Tyler, that was a wonderful setup. Even trying if, to think uh, of something else, but I, yeah, even if you couldn't quite stick the landing, it was still uh, <laughs> did my ego good and uh, some very clever word usage. Well, uh, welcome back, man. It's so good to see some very um, right in your wheelhouse Benjamin Hill work back on the sites uh, at MLB Pipeline and at MILB.com. We've got promo stuff up. Uh, ballpark gates are open across the country. We're finally seeing fans back in. We're seeing giveaways. We're seeing promotions. We're seeing ballpark food. Like, it just feels so good to have some semblance of normalcy. What's the first week been like for you kind of getting to engage again with people around the game and, um, you know, seeing fans filing into ballparks? I mean, I know even just on opening night when we talked, um, you know, before and shortly after uh, the first podcast of the the actual season, it's been emotional for all of us. But what has this first full week been like for you kind of getting to observe? Yeah, it has been emotional. I've had a little... Um... I guess FOMO, as the kids say, because I haven't uh, gotten out to a, a ballpark myself uh, yet, which in a way was part of the plan because, you know, in terms of covering the ballpark experience, even though it's good to cover something very specific to right now, I'm looking forward to getting out there when it won't be totally normal in 2021, but a little more normal, a little more people, everyone feeling a little more safe and getting back to normal with all that. So, yeah, I was a little seeing it on Twitter and seeing the pictures and talking to front office members and them, you know, saying how meaningful it was and just being like, Oh, here I am sitting in this bedroom again, which is also my office, which is also a nursery. And, um, you know, but I'll get it out there. And, you know, to start the season, it has been strange because, you know, so teams uh, operationally, well, across the border, you know, kind of restricted in what they can do as we've talked about, you know, multiple times in the past um, for a variety of reasons. And so there aren't as many promos, Teams don't want to use their big ticket nights on reduced capacity. A lot of them are cobbling promo schedules together one month at a time, breaking up giveaways into two or three different nights. And so for me, it's been a little tough because it's like, wow, the season's here. Here we go. And then kind of like, oh, 
it's still a little slow and weird in terms of uh, my uh, you know business and culture angle. So I really have gone back to my roots this week and just been trying to pick out like what are the more quintessentially minor league baseball things happening even now where teams are saying, you know, we're still going to have fun. We're still going to set the tone by being goofy, creative, you know, pop culture oriented. And uh, so that's where my head is at in the, in the very beginning here as we ease back during this first month, just trying to scour the landscape for creative things. And that's what I've uh, been writing about this week. And you did uh, roll out promo preview number one, essentially, for the 2021 season and not a, a traditional promo preview, obviously more of a, a review of what the first week looked like across the minor leagues in which teams kind of acknowledged the year that we've all been through and a, a year in which they didn't get a chance to hold the season and get to do all the fun and wacky things we love around minor league baseball. But that did not stop. One of the best things about minor league baseball front offices is when they can take negatives and spin them into fun things to kind of poke fun at. And uh, we sort of laugh through our tears a lot sometimes in the minor leagues for example uh like the low a east clubs who held uh tribute nights to some uh products and things that we were all way too familiar with and way too in search of in 2020 carolina mudcats held hand sanitizer appreciation night and the augusta green jackets ode to 2020 was uh headlined by a giveaway of toilet paper which remember the big run on toilet paper that was that was really something um this is such a different context to be interviewing teams in talking about the the look back at what we all went through but also the quintessentially minor league thing of okay how can we make this fun uh, tell us about that story yeah that's exactly what it was as i said kind of scouring the landscape for creative things carolina mudcats based in zebulon north carolina which everyone should know um you know if they were the zebulon mudcats that would be the last place alphabetically team in all of minor league baseball so out there in zebulon north carolina um they were just trying to think of creative things to do had the idea, um, let's do a tribute to hand sanitizer. I mean, we just used so much of it this year. And then as it turned out, they got contacted by Johnston Health, which is one of their local hospitals, healthcare organizations that essentially wanted to you know, come close to buying out the ballpark for what capacity is right now, a little under 2000 uh, for their frontline workers. So they've been floating this hand sanitizer theme night around just as something goofy to do. Then some frontline workers are going to make up the bulk of your crowd. This is this past Saturday night. And they're like, okay, we'll honor frontline workers. They're very, uh, you know, familiar with good hygiene and sanitizer. And they'll be kind of receptive to a kind of goofy ode to this product we've used so much. So they tied it in, you know, with some part of it being a more poignant night with honoring frontline workers uh, from the region who, you know, who went through who knows what uh, throughout 2020 and continue in a lot of ways to go through uh, really difficult times and caring for people during a pandemic, but also just given that minor league fun, you know, they had this hand sanitizer distribution inning where front office members ran through the crowd and just as people were sticking out their hands, just rapid fire all over the stadium, just giving everyone in the ballpark uh, hand sanitizer, doing hand sanitizer, fun facts on the board, uh, using the hand sanitizer as a, uh, in a higher low prices right style game like okay here's a 50 gallon drum eight hundred dollars higher low and i have no idea i mean how much does a 50 dollar gum gun gum fifty dollar what do you call it jug of hand sanitizer go for anyway it was fun to talk about a team doing something creative in that way and in the same league the low east uh, that same night over in augusta as you mentioned 
And uh, North Augusta, South Carolina, of course, if we're being specific, the Green Jackets new ballpark is located in South Carolina in North Augusta. Um, they did an ode to 2020, which I think they kept it pretty light with, you know, paying tribute to 2020. Uh, one of the things is the between inning contests, anyone who won a between inning contest, which are largely taking place on video boards this year, because you can't bring fans onto the field and have them run around and whatnot. Um, but anyone who won a um, between inning contest won a team signed ball, the undefeated 2020 Augusta Green Jackets team, which of course was just a baseball that had nothing on it. You know, very, ooh, very sharp, very satirical, very clever out there in, in North Augusta, South Carolina. And at the end of the night, uh, they gave away toilet paper as everyone left. And they had a toilet paper pyramid st uh, stacked up at the exit. And they'd made like a toilet paper toilet bowl, if that makes sense. They'd shaped, used a bunch of rolls of toilet paper to create a toilet bowl made out of toilet paper and that sort of thing. So pretty lighthearted. But on the same night, I was like, this is how I'm going to kick off my season coverage. It was a weird year. We're still getting used to things. So here we go. Sand, That's the thing, is sand, sand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, <laughs> and toilet paper. What more could uh, speak to our present times or especially 2020? And man, was that weird. I'm just telling all society, if, if some bad things happen, just you'll be fine on toilet paper. You're a clown if you go out and get a lot of toilet paper and make it so other people can't get it. I'm, I'm coming down hard on that situation. And if you hoarded it in the past, I judge you. I um just as a total break in the, the normalcy of a baseball conversation, I made fun of the toilet paper hoarders on Instagram last year, early on in the pandemic. And I had like a casual acquaintance get like really enraged by my mockery of the toilet paper people and blocked me on social media for oh, making wow. fun of the toilet paper hoarders, which to me means you're a toilet paper hoarder and you're the problem. <laughs> so I guess we, cause we outed that person. I was going to say, I'm glad we're having this conversation 13 months after <laughs> like the hoarding really began. I'm glad we are all putting our foot down now. Yeah. We have this stage and these mics. Um, but just the, the silliness of this, Ben, just the fact that, like, this is what's starting to feel like minor league baseball is back. Even if it isn't owed to 2020, like, just having some wacky promos like this. Speaking of which, you have another story coming out about the Akron Rubber Ducks who are doing a Ken Thompson night. And Ken Thompson, if he sounds familiar, that's weird because he shouldn't. It's just a random person. What can you tell us about that one? Yeah, I talked to Ken Thompson today, and it was the kind of interview I like to do uh, with this job because, you know, if you work in any form of media, often you're trying to talk to someone that a lot of other people and media members and outlets are trying to talk to. And I like talking to people like Ken Thompson, and I'm the only person kind of tracking down. Ken Thompson is an Akron River Ducks flex plan season ticket holder. Um, don't know his exact age. Let's say he's in his 50s, maybe. It doesn't matter. Uh, born and raised in Akron, serves in the National Guard, Iraqi war veteran. And uh, he was selected randomly, more or less out of a hat, uh, by the Akron Rubber Ducks front office to have a theme night in his honor. That's something the team has been doing for a number of years where they randomly select a fan, usually a season ticket holder of some kind, and say, we're going to make it your night. So you think about minor league baseball and they're having all sorts of tribute nights, the office night, field of dreams night, the sandlot, salute to this, salute to that. The Akron Rubber Ducks did that, but just with Ken Thompson, just a regular dude who had his own night at the ballpark. So I talked to him about it and he was still just kind of over the moon with the whole thing, you know, between inning games, like um, where they'd give facts about different Kens and you'd have to guess which Ken it was. And they shared shared uh, facts about Ken Thompson himself. And one that he told me was that Ken Thompson likes to smoke meat. That was one of the facts. He, he loves his smoker, big barbecue guy. 
And uh, another one was he um, he's trying to get a tattoo that his wife won't notice. And it was like, good luck with that, buddy. But I think that was a little tongue in cheek. But just learning about Ken Thompson seemed like a really nice guy. Seemed like the quintessential sort of dude you wouldn't mind sitting around at a minor league baseball game, having a beer, talking to. And uh, I just love that kind of promotion. Fanfare for the common man. Ken Thompson having his own night. And uh, I'd like to see more teams do that sort of thing. You know, I was talking to Jim Fander, the GM, president of the Akron Rubber Ducks. And uh, he's been around minor league baseball for a long time. And he says that came back, that idea comes back all the way to his uh, years of the Charleston River Dogs with Mike Vec there. When they did it even more random, they just pick a name and then call someone out of the phone book with that name and try to do a night dedicated to them. And he said, as the years went on, that got a little weird when they were cold calling people from the phone book and they had some awkward interactions on the phone with people thinking they were trying to take advantage of them. And they're like, no, we're the minor league baseball team. We just want to honor you. Which you you can see that would sound a little weird. So now they do a little more internally, go within their season ticket fan customer base. Um, But talk about adaptable ideas. I mean, we always talk about that in this industry and covering this industry. I mean, that is something I think almost every team should do. Pick your loyal fans and dedicate theme nights to their honor. Give that minor league spirit that you go into celebrating things into the common man, the common fan, the common woman. And uh, I'm all about it. So Ken Thompson night, check it out. Check out that story coming very soon, I am sure. And you will find it uh, on whatever relevant platform on which it's available. There is yet to be a night dedicated to the show before the show podcast, the official podcast, minor league baseball from any minor league baseball team across the country. Sam is shaking his head in disgust right now uh, as we are all very disappointed in all of you. And uh, you know, it's, I'm just saying the first team who does it, we won't be disappointed in you. You'll gain and gain a a large uh, amount of favor. You'll curry the favor as they say, Um, Ben, there's a great piece that is up at MLB pipeline in which you and Josh Jackson uh, went through the top 10 farm systems by fan experience in minor league baseball. This is a story that by the time you're listening to the show, uh, went up a week ago at at, uh, MLB pipeline. Um, But it's such a good story. And uh, my favorite part of the story is a picture of you with the Cedar Rapids Colonel's mascot, Mr. Shucks. And the caption of the photo says, Mr. Hill, and then in parentheses, left at Mr. Shucks in 2015, as though we would not know which one was which. I'm a very big fan of that. But tell us through it. This is such a great idea for a story. It's not just this is the best ballpark. This is the best food. This is the best experience. It's 10 full on systems and throughout their four levels, what they provide and what makes them so good. Yeah. Well, first I say that I have been mistaken for an anthropomorphic ear of corn in the past. And I do think sometimes it's happens to everyone. Who Who is who? I do have some of those characteristics, characteristics. Um, Sometimes I feel like a husk of my former self. Just kidding. Um, No, I'm silky smooth. That's what I meant to say. Um, And my jokes are corny. I don't oh. know. Stop me. Stop me. Stop me. Stop the recording of, now before this goes too long. The is, kernel uh, of truth was, I was going to say, this was a kernel of a good segment, but you beat me to it. <laughs> kernel of truth. Yeah, it definitely. And I'm the Nebraska well. alumnus here. I should be making all the corn jokes. Yeah, you should. I'm sorry. I took it, took it right out of your hands. No. There. All right. Let's uh, back on track. Yeah, this story was a lot of fun to do. Shout out to John Kudo of GameOps.com, who kind of had a very similar idea on a podcast I did with him a while back. And I was like, hey, man, I think uh, this would be a fun thing to do. And Josh and I, you know, like a lot of you listening, maybe we're not totally prospect guys, but hey, we can do our own farm system ranking. So yeah, we use the criteria of not the player quality of the players in the system, but looking at each farm system's four teams and saying cumulatively, 
what are the farm systems that have the best fan experience? What have the best collection of teams that we as fans would like to go visit? So we set it up basically as a draft and just alternated selections. And uh, you can check out that article, uh, MLB Pipeline, um, Google. Well, no, don't Google it. Just find it or DM me on Twitter if you can't find it. I will help you read this article because in talking about four teams and every system and having 10 different systems, you know, we kept it light, we kept it moving, but man, we got a lot of information in there and a lot of fun minor league facts. And I think a lot of things that other people could enjoy in plotting their own road trips or just starting to think about the minors uh, from this fan first fan experience way. So I'll throw the question to you guys. Um, you know, we have 10 in, in that article, but you know, you can read the article to see all those 10, but uh, what, what would you choose uh, as the top minor league farm system based on fan experience, just where you'd want to go, ballparks, food, front office, logos, whatever, mascots, whatever. I am uh, going to be kind of making the obvious pick here. I've been to both Albuquerque and Hartford uh, in the Colorado Rockies organization. I am based in the city of their parent club. Both ballparks are amazing. The food is amazing. The views uh, are amazing, especially in Albuquerque. Um, I also have been a longtime admirer of both the Spokane Indians and the Fresno Grizzlies. Spokane, of course, so much for their work with the, the local Spokane tribe and how they are in the community and the Red Band Rally uh, initiative that they did trying to support a, a local fish that was uh, um suffering in its its conservation efforts and um you know on fresno's side the the tacos phenomenon and um all of the the promotions um pioneering that they've done over the last several years so i feel like i would go that route i would go with the uh with the rocky system but there's also you really can't go wrong in any of these the angels would be the other one that i think would be a very strong contender because salt lake maybe the best backdrop to a ballpark uh in all of baseball uh in smith's ballpark in in salt lake rocket city obviously we were waiting around for so long for rocket city to open up um tri-city i've always heard great things inland empire you'd get a california trip those would probably be my my selection sam what about you um i'm gonna go the one that stood out to me is just the rays being on here because you get durham um, you get Montgomery. I love what Montgomery's done with their promos in the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, the, the two A clubs uh, are, are somewhat interesting as well, but the Rays are the one that were on the list that surprised me. But the one that I might throw on here that isn't there is the Chicago White Sox. And I'm actually kind of yeah. curious, Ben, um, if they were close to either of your lists. Um, I know you and Josh, like literally talked this over as you guys were writing it, but getting Charlotte, getting, uh, you know, Birmingham with the Barons, which have been there for a long time, but you can go and see a game, see a team that Michael Jordan played for. So there's some history there as well. Charlotte, you, Tyler, you mentioned Salt Lake might have the best backdrop. If we're looking at best urban backdrop, that's yeah. definitely belonging to Charlotte. Um, Canapolis, we just talked to to those guys there. Winston-Salem has done some new unveilings and has a new look. Um, it's all pretty concentrated too, which is hilarious because it's in concentrated in South Carolina, or uh, excuse me, in Alabama and North Carolina, uh, as opposed to being around Illinois. Uh, but I, th I think the White Sox are maybe the one that didn't get here. Uh, but how close were they, Ben? I would say they're pretty close. I, I think they would have been, if we had gone to six rounds in our alternating selections, they would have been one of, I think we probably would have gone uh, Chicago White Sox and Milwaukee if we had kept going. And that's the great thing about an article like this. You know, it's just two people's opinions as they're riffing about the entire landscape and I don't think anyone's list of 10 would be the same, but, you know, as Tyler said, uh, 
Colorado. That was, I think, my second pick. And um, the Angels was one of Josh's pretty early on. And uh, the Rays was one of Josh's as well. So, you know, we see things fairly similar. But, yeah, we left off the White Sox. Uh, you can make a case for just about everybody. And it really kind of depends, you know, on who you are as a person, as a fan, and what criteria that are most important to you, which I think is why it's a fun article and maybe a concept uh, that we can go back to. Um, you know, throughout the season in terms of, um, you know, starting these arguments, starting these debates and uh, hit me up on Twitter, email, whatever, if uh, you've got opinions on this, what is the best farm system based on farm uh, fan experience? Uh, I enjoy talking about this stuff and there's a lot of directions to go and uh, we'll keep hitting this kind of material. All right. And speaking of things that we can go back to, uh, we are going to roll out a brand new segment featuring one of our favorite people on the planet. He is your, my, and our friend, Josh Jackson, who is going to be the star of a new segment called Ghosts of the Miners. Ben, give us the lowdown on Josh's new segment. Josh Jackson, as you said, good good man, good friend, um, learned man, articulate, verbose, loquacious man. He's a lot of things, very well read. And uh, when he gets into something, he gets into it a lot. And he's a bit of an eccentric and maybe born... Maybe he's a man out of time. I feel like he's a man that maybe would have been most at home a hundred years ago, hundred years ago. Who knows what? But he has, um, let's say, timeless sensibilities as opposed to um, old-fashioned or out-of-date sensibilities. And uh, one of the many things he loves is minor league baseball. And he has been working on a segment, and I've been happy to collaborate with him a little bit um, in trying to figure out uh, exactly he's going to present this material. He is filled with knowledge about defunct minor league baseball teams. And he wants now you, the listeners, to learn about the teams he knows about and to make sure that you, the listener, can identify real defunct minor league baseball teams as opposed to fake ones he might throw at you as well. So uh, looking forward to this segment and as it develops. But for now, we'll just give you a little teaser. Josh Jackson, travel with him to his hermetically sealed cave where he presents to you Ghosts of the Miners. Welcome to the first edition of a new segment we're calling Ghosts of the Miners, featuring a discussion of one historical entity from the annals of minor league baseball and two phonies I completely made up. Here's the rub. It's on all of you out there in Radioland to identify the legitimate ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. Ready? Which of the following was once a real minor league baseball team? A. Beatrice Milk Skimmers. B. The Champlain Windjammers. C. The Lake Arson Scorchers. Your choices again, dear listeners. A. The Beatrice Milk Skimmers. B. The Champlain Windjammers. C. The Lake Arson Scorchers. For the answer, tune in next week for another edition of Ghosts of the Miners. segment for this week's episode of the show before the show and uh that segment from our good buddy josh jackson we will be continuing along with those ghosts of the minor segments from now until uh the end of the season and uh, as you heard 
you can do some brainstorming. No Googling. It's a podcast. So obviously we're not going to know if and how quickly you cheat by just Googling the correct answer. But do yourself a favor. Just try to think, okay, what would the actual answer among these three teams be? And then Google it and see if you're right. If you don't want to look it up at all, Josh will have the answer for you on next week's episode of the show, and he will present you with another brain buster coming up next week. And uh, we're excited to dive into that with Josh Jackson. Um, I think that's all. I think we got through it. I'll just uh, I'll throw out one Mild TV game for everybody to watch right. real quick. Sam, what are you watching on Mill TV this week? TV this, I know we're still got to get used to yeah, this. Yeah, still got to get used to getting back. We got into three that. strikes at the beginning. Now we got the Mill TV Fantastic. game of the week. I, because there's six game series now, I don't want to give you like a specific game, but we talked about two of these guys at the beginning segment. Um, Jacksonville is playing Durham, and you're always going to want to watch Durham because it's your opportunity right now to see Wander Franco on Mill TV. But Vidal Bruhan also is part of that Durham team for sure, and Jesus Sanchez will be on that Jacksonville team. Um, so those guys are playing each other all weekend, all the way through to Sunday uh, before the Monday off game. So if you can catch those guys, you know, Thursday when you hear, hear this or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no matter what, um, I don't think all the pitching probables have been released for that series yet. So maybe double check, find out which one's going to be you know most interesting to you. Uh, but Jacksonville at Durham, I think you can't go wrong no matter what you pick uh, from that series ongoing right now. Tyler, do you have a game? I totally spaced on, uh, on doing this, but no, I will give you a, a game, maybe not a game, but, a similarly a series to watch, um, that, uh, that buoy team, that double a buoy team right now, we talked about the, the Mariners, um, situation with their prospect group coming up and how much Mariners fans are like kind of sorely in need of that. Um, double a buoy has some really interesting components on that roster as well. And, uh, talked a little bit about DL hall earlier on in the show later this week, they will be home against Reading. Um, they're already home against Reading but they'll be home from, from now through the remainder of the week against the, uh, the Reading fight and fills that team has some very interesting components on it as well. Uh, you know, former first overall pick Mark Appel was on that Reading roster, but for Bowie DL hall has been really interesting to watch. Um, and obviously you flip on a game from night to night, you're going to get a chance uh, to more than likely see Adley Rushman behind the plate. It was the first overall pick a couple of years ago, uh, friend of the podcast as well. Um, and it's not just those guys on that roster. There are some really um, compelling uh, names and guys who you feel like are going to be part of the next wave to uh, reinforce Baltimore's um, hopeful as they would uh, would have the the fan base be on board with return to uh, prominence in the American League East. So I'm really liking watching that Bowie team as of late. Plus you get an Adam Pohl broadcast. One of there the you go. entertaining guys in all of minor league baseball. So if you tune into a Bay Sox game, uh, Adam Pohl is your guy. Yeah. And one thing I liked about your story with DL Hall, which he, I, I don't know if you asked him directly or if he brought it about, uh, unprompted, but saying throwing to Adley Rutschman and how yeah. big of a target he is. Yeah. Yeah. And how much that just kind of helps you. I mean, we know that Adley Rutschman is a very good receiver of the ball anyways. If you watch him, he's actually very entertaining. He does some stuff like just grabbing the ball, knowing it's a ball or, you know, he'll do things that no normal catchers don't do. But the fact that his size plays into that as yeah. well is very interesting. And just the whole catcher pitcher dynamic. Yeah. And you can tell, I did side. ask DL Hall, what has that relationship been like in to work with him? And you could tell how, how much it excited him to talk about Adley Rushman. Adley's listed mm -hmm. at six two two twenty. Um, But yeah, you could tell that it was definitely something that uh, he went on to that next level of wanting to talk about a teammate when I brought that up. And that's always a very good sign, especially when it's a pitcher, a pitcher talking about a catcher. Um, and so it's uh, a group that's really interesting in that double a buoy 
uh, squad and, you know, uh, a chance also to take a look at a Reading team that the, the Phillies are kind of trying to figure out who they are right now as a, a franchise. And it's been a very strange couple of years, you know, they bring in Bryce Harper and you think, Oh, that team's kind of on the doorstep and they haven't made it there yet. And um, there are still some really interesting pieces in that system too. But yeah, you look at the, the Philly system uh, right now and in double a uh, there's some guys who you know, feel like maybe the ceiling is still yet to be touched. And there are some other guys that you think, you know, Mark Appel is probably the perfect example of, okay, what do you actually have in this guy? Um, can this person discover something for that next step in their career? Um that's an intriguing mix also. So that's a, a six game series that'll wrap up uh, this Sunday and all those games from Bowie on uh, MILB.TV. So uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. This is a fun one this week. Big thanks to Josh. Uh, brainstorm your answers for Ghost of the Miners. You can get in touch with the podcast, podcast at MILB.com. If you have your own thoughts for a Ghost of the Miners segment, and uh, we're going to be pumped to roll those out week to week. And a big thanks to Ben as well. And for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. 